Hello, and welcome to episode five of T2RL Talks. And once again, we're considering the industry move to offer order, settle, deliver, and, and the demise of legacy processes and systems, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. With me this time, I've got Richard Clark, who's our CEO of Travel Technology Research, and I've also got uh, Natalie Gurdon, who's uh, Vice President Consulting, and Natalie works with a lot of our airline customers in Latin America, amongst other places, and that brings an interesting perspective to the conversation we're going to have. Today's conversation is largely about the costs of moving to offer, order, settle, deliver. We're about to publish a written report on the subject, which I urge T2RL subscribers to download and absorb. If you're not a T2RL subscriber, you will be able to get a short form summary of the report. So uh, maybe that will whet your appetite. We assume in that report that airlines that want to make the big move to offer order, settle, deliver, are going to have to build their business cases around the idea of saving costs. And, and we make that assumption because notoriously, business cases based on revenue enhancement face a lot of opposition when it comes to the CFO's office. Maybe we'll start with Richard. Are we really going to see substantial cost savings to airlines when they make this move? Well, that, that, uh, that actually remains to be seen. The reality is that we believe there should be cost savings, but having sort of chased this out as the benefits being tied to revenue, the vendors are kind of pricing in some of the benefits or pricing out from the airline, if you like, some of the benefits associated with offer, order, settle and deliver. And, and the example that I always give for that is we're asking the vendors to provide us with an API. We're asking the, the, the vendors to provide us with the tools to manage that API. And we're asking for them to provide some support for shopping for that API with respect to NDC. And so far, the proportionality of the costs of NDC and the shopping relative to the total cost of PSS has been pretty substantial. So one of the one of the challenges that we have is that we would expect to see cost savings in the PSS, and and if you follow the IATA McKinsey work from 2019, which set out the seven dollars per passenger opportunity, if you like, part of that came from some cost savings. We certainly want want to go into this on the basis of there are some things we will simplify, for example, revenue accounting. We don't need such complexity. All the complexity is being moved to the offer side of the house. So all of the proration, all of the settlement figures, all of those things are being moved to the offer side. So we should see some simplification on the, I say, closer to the general ledgers in the back end. We expect ERP to, to have a much larger role in the future of, of uh, settlement and the accounting transactions. But the reality is, that, as you said, Ian, that you know, the business cases built on on revenue are very often more challenging for the for the CFO. I think there's a general acceptance that there's some consumer surplus that needs to be captured, uh, and maybe it, maybe it's just wishful thinking. But if you look at the yields at the moment, they are incredibly high in in many of the markets, and transatlantic notably. Um, you know, so so the idea that that it all comes from cost savings 
maybe maybe those the faithful will will find some of the benefits in in revenue and um, we'll see a bit of a balanced business case with a bit of revenue and 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 some some cost savings. Okay, so so Natalie, the the airlines that you are working with in general, I I don't think it's being unfair to them to say they they're not as far advanced in their thinking about this transition as as maybe the top tier airlines like Lufthansa, IAG, United, and so on. Do they see revenue opportunities here, or, or do they see something else? Do they see a need to to catch up? Effectively, I think they they initially there's a there's an investment that they need to make in in initially the the order, so they they need to uh, upgrade their offers uh, in order to to better retail and and obviously do more dynamic pricing. So there will be an initial investment for them in the initial phases. But there's definitely for them uh, an opportunity for revenue improvement to get ahead of the competition as they as they take those those uh, paths to to better offer product. So would it be right to say that the revenue benefits of this transition are going to come from offer, and maybe some of the cost saving benefits are going to come from implementing a generic retail style order? I think that they will they will eventually get to a stage of of being able to. Take advantage of some some cost reduced costs in the distribution side once they've made that step to to creating their their orders. Currently, they don't have very sophisticated offering of their dynamic pricing and and proper retailing of their ancillary services. So they've still got a big step to do in in delivering their offers before they can actually start um, doing retailing. And so I think there's a big path still to do that in an investment they have to do there before they can actually start taking opportunity of, of direct distribution in, in NDC channels, for example. So I, I think what's clear from this conversation and, and a conversation that Natalie and I had earlier in the day is that there's quite a wide disparity between the readiness of different airlines in different regions and different business models to to make this transition. And I would think that in general, it is the biggest and most sophisticated airlines that are driving certainly the um, the noise in the marketplace, if nothing else at the moment. Would, would you agree with that, Richard? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there's there's some organizational things that need to be taken care of. So if you think about the organization today and the way revenue management works and the, the role of the analyst, you know, offer management is becoming, uh, I don't want to say it's much more sophisticated because the, the the people that are engaged in this will say, well, no, it's actually a little simpler to manage, to be honest. And if I'm using machine learning or I'm using new capabilities around data and, and artificial intelligence, this this actually alleviates some of the work for the analysts. But the reality is, I think the larger carriers see the revenue opportunity, or certainly some of the opportunity around revenue, and they have the ability to switch up their organisations to start thinking about, you know, all of the work that they have to do on the on on the on the front end. R- remember, we're not really changing what we're doing; we're just moving it to a different spot in the in the process, and we're automating far more activities than we did in the in the past and i and I, you know we spend a lot of time working out taxation we spend a lot of time prorating you know some of the more complex stuff you have to remember that there are some airlines out there that are, have squeezed the lemon pretty hard on the rm side or the revenue management side you know things like 
real-time dynamic pricing from 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 some of the vendors we've seen them squeeze the lemon pretty hard and they've kind of got to a bit of a limit and now they need to take the next step to to allow them to move from simple dynamic discounting it's not simple um and and availability controls to you know something a bit more continuous in terms of pricing and and i think the larger organizations get most benefit of that and we we saw that with american airlines obviously has a plan long term distribution related perhaps in the, in the initial phases now revenue related i think the most significant thing about the move by american to push uh, to push ndc is you know obviously the opportunity that will come later in terms of what they can do with respect to pricing but they are ready they have an organization that can support that i think some of the smaller carriers it's a little tricky to completely change the way you work in revenue management and to rethink some of this stuff because you know we're we're pushing settlement figures all the way through people talk about being able to get rid of atp co actually atp co is trying to transform and remain relevant and they've you know got a good management team to 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 try and help the airlines get to where they need to get to so i i you know natalie's spot on i think that's patchy the larger carriers are going to maybe benefit the most perhaps the travel agencies have had a bit of difficulty with the servicing aspects so there's a slight lack of maturity in some of the in the way that ndc is being moved out and and the, the travel agents are having to do more manual processing in order to keep up but but i think over time that should go away the gds has become as we've said for a very very long time the largest aggregators of ndc content and that brings a different dimension. So some of the cost savings may be pushed back into the GDSs, if you like. The business cases are going to be complicated. I think that's really the uh, that's really the issue, and um, they're going to be different. And you know, not all PSS contracts are created equal. Uh, the one company that knows that better than anyone is us. And you know, there are some egregious egregious charges that will make the business case attractive there's also some very efficient contracts out there and you know people have negotiated very hard they've taken care of look to book they've taken care of some of these issues that come back as time and time again in the conversations on the business case side so there there will be some savings for some um, and they could be very substantial Uh, okay what one parallel that that i think i see in in this transformation dates back a long long time it's one of the benefits of being very old in this industry if you go back to the early 1980s when revenue management was actually invented more or less simultaneously by british airways and american airlines on opposite sides of the atlantic and for a short time it gave them huge competitive advantage until everyone else invested and caught up and and within a decade revenue management systems were almost a commodity that you could buy off the shelf and implement even if you were really quite a small airline. Is that the way this is going to go? Are we going to be having this conversation in 10 years' time and there'll be people with plug-and-play packages that will 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 move you seamlessly into OOSD? Or is it all going to be complicated and needing changes to business process as the, the most important precursor? And, and, and again, Natalie, I think you've got some opinions on the need to update the business process before you can actually think about the technology. Yes, I think, I mean, a lot of the smaller airlines are still struggling to understand their customer data and, and it comes from different areas of the organization. So if they can gain real-time insights to customer behavior and, and take decisions based on 
data-driven analytics. I think that's the first step in, in then being able to invest in, in modern revenue management systems. And I think that's where they're at at this time, even before trying to push forward their digital transformation and, and, and launch NDC channels. I think that's, that's probably where they're investing most. Whilst obviously the, the, the larger carriers that are moving into this, the offer order service delivery are, are competing or put, potentially it, it's revenue protection, right? If they don't do it, they, they lose competitive share. And also they'll be investing very much on service delivery, right? Increasing the service delivery to their customers. So I think it's a very different business case and, and motivation behind each of those different types of customers. So we, we, we see that for some airlines, some airlines below a certain level of size or sophistication, it's going to almost be defensive. They're, they're, they're going to have to make, move in this direction because if they don't, the big guys are going to just come in and hoover up their lunches. That's right. I mean, if they, if they don't merchandise their, their product offering and start um, increasing their ancillary services and incorporating in uh, third-party ancillary providers services that they will be left out there with with very simple fair models and few ancillaries to compete with the bigger players so i think they they do need to start doing this modern merchandising if you want in order to be able to compete okay and and on an even more fundamental level where airlines have interline relationships with with the big guys there will come a point where the big guys will turn around and say well uh, unless you can do this in an offer order manner I'm not going to play with you anymore. I mean, that's definitely a risk for the smaller players. But, you know, the world is not an open an open marketplace. There's still significant bilaterals in place. Um, and if you look at Latin America, that, that, that's always been one of the issues in Latin America and Africa and the Middle East. It is pretty complicated sometimes to, you know, assert the power of one one of the participants over the other. So I, I think the, the regulatory environment is is going to protect some of those perhaps smaller carriers. I, I think we get a bit hung up on the you know size of the carrier that, that 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 matters. It's really about the capabilities within that carrier. So you still have a small carrier with great capability in terms of dynamic pricing or continuous pricing, and 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 Swiss always comes up as the entity that you know really squeezed the lemon. I mean, obviously because of really smart people like Carl Eisler and others that that really thought about the problem and wanted to push the envelope with respect to revenue management or at least getting the right offer in front of the customer and i think that's the the sort of principle here that that that's that's at play and ndc certainly makes that a lot easier the the structures around classes i mean we, we We've, we've had lots of methods to get around the constraints that we've had in the system. And, you know, there are organizations that have built amazing bits of software. I think you probably you'd find if you were um, talking when you said American Airlines and British Airways invented the people at Sabre might say, wait a minute, it was us that did that. Not not American, but of course, American and Sabre were one at the time. The revenue management has evolved and they have reached a natural limit where squeezing the next amount of revenue from each seat is, is has got really really difficult and, and really complex and machine learning and data give them an opportunity to really take a step change to be far more automated in the in the processing and and to give better pricing i think we always talk about you know the fact that the continuous pricing will deliver 
as as everybody everybody quotes the McKinsey study at seven dollars, there's definitely some opportunity there. That opportunity might not be available for everyone, so it's exactly what Natalie said. There's going to be a moment where the market is going to deliver a sophisticated set of tools to any person that can that can buy them. And, and look, today revenue management, as our report will show. It isn't very expensive, really, when you come to think about the stack of services within the stack of services today. I think we use, as an illustration, we use the fact that today, as a very sophisticated revenue management system, that would be forecasting on the no and D basis, you know, would probably be around 12 and a half cents a passenger boarded. That's the sort of reference data that we've got. And the and the integration of that with the PSS environment is probably another five cents. So that's 17 and a half cents. If you think about the value that creates, um, and then then revenue management looks reasonable relative to managing PNRs and and tickets. Really, today, if you if you sort of if you take that into consideration, so the world of offer order settle deliver, we're going to see the revenue management specialists with a great opportunity as long as they can make those offers consumable through all of the channels. So it kind of forces if you if you think about what happened in the marketplace, pros bought Viant, so they bought a pricing engine, and and they're now looking at ways to expose that priced availability to the market directly. So you know the vendors are starting to think about what that means to them, and the marketplace will be very active. The plugins to the revenue management systems for data and intelligence you know these things are definitely going to happen the gdss have a huge advantage over other players in the market because they have billions of requests for priced availability so they have a ton more data that they can feed into machine learning and artificial intelligence and and you know we see shopping data starting to become critical in in some of the way that some of the vendors are offering in terms of pricing Let's think about that a little bit. We've only seen so far one airline launch with a pure offer order settle set of tools on the commercial side, and that was FLIR in Norway. And FLIR was around for a couple of years. Ultimately, it failed, but not because of its systems. We're pretty confident. What would it be? What would it take for a bigger? and maybe more complex airline, one that was fully plugged into the industry's interline and indirect sales and, and so on and so on, to, to actually launch a complete offer order settle deliver solution. How much money is someone going to have to spend to do that? Well, if they're going to build it themselves, then sort of there isn't enough money available in any individual airline to be able to do that. I, 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 would, I would phrase it like that. I, I think the first thing is that an airline that would launch like that would be brave because they would be taking on a level of risk that would be unacceptable to most management teams. So, so the answer first is the management has to believe that long term, the ability to continuously price, the ability to integrate, I, I'm going to say third parties for now, but but the reality is the ability to continuously price, offer a great range of ancillaries, flight-based and non-flight-based, will deliver a long-term better result. That's the sort of management approach that we would, would see as being successful. So a, a higher appetite for risk. I think you said how much money would it be? 
the reality is that all of the current vendors and a few new vendors are trying to enter this space. So that risk, the airline risk, would be shared with the vendors. Now, the, the reality is that integration with the rest of the planet, and I'm going to say co-share and interline, if, if the airline is going to be sophisticated, the ability to integrate with the legacy airlines becomes the key to being able to do that. And of course, the people that hold that key are the Amadeuses, the Sabres, and the Travel Skies. Those teams have already built that infrastructure. They already have that set of capabilities. So they have a natural advantage in the market. Whether that gets converted or not is a, is a different story. As we all know, NDC originally was all about was all about GDS bypass, and we finally arrived at a place that was acceptable to everyone, which is actually this might help generate more revenue, and and may allow us to be a little bit more nimble with respect to offers. I'm taking a couple of things out of that. One is that it's very unlikely that a single airline by itself can invest to make this transformation. Therefore, it's going to rely on a small number of vendors to take the commercial risk in building these solutions and then spread those costs over a, a number of years and a number of airlines. So, so, so that's certainly one thing I, I'm taking out of that. The other is that it's unlikely that we'll see a fully sophisticated, full-service networking carrier go for an immediate knife-edge cutover to, to the new world. We're going to have to manage a world where, where some things are legacy, some things are new, they've got to talk to each other, all of that good stuff. And in those circumstances, the incumbent providers, and, and you called out Amadeus Sabre and Travel Sky, and I, I'd agree that they're the key ones, do start with an advantage. A huge advantage. So if you're a vendor who wants to enter this market and you don't have a PSS or a GDS in your armory, is it even a sensible thing to attempt? I think the idea that our version of sensible and their version of sensible is, is that would be that would be up for discussion. Let, let me use an example so that, that there are some big IT companies out there. I think SAP is one of those big IT companies that has massive capability on the back end and has some capabilities, e-commerce, commerce platforms, and so on. I don't think in the uh, short term they could do it all themselves, but in the medium to long term, with the right people and the right teams, they, they could enter this business and they would be a serious player. And, and the way I like to sort of think about that is actually ERP today, they're, you know, they dominate the airline landscape. And, and so extending the ERP closer to the offer order infrastructure by, by, by allowing the orders to be processed and managing the revenue accounting function as we think of it today it, it's it's grossly simplified and if i look at um you know lufthansa systems have a product called cirax cirax works on sap 
it's very natural that SAP could extend their capability out, maybe in partnership with uh, with Lufthansa Systems, but to to deliver something that's much simpler, so that when the doors close, as we say, the airline doors actually close, they have the profitability of that flight and that route buttoned down. So you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. One of which is to feed back into their machine learning and their and then their data to to say, well, what did we learn from this? There are some players that could get involved in this. The Amadeus results for this quarter have been amazing. You know, the reality is there's plenty of incentive, but but the amount of effort to create, offer, order, settle, and deliver is is humongous. If you think about the years and years of investment made by the, the bigger players and some of the smaller players, if you think about the proportion of, of money that's been spent, it is a daunting a daunting task and 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 one that doesn't spin up lots of startups that can do this i mean flyer labs have generated you know huge shareholder contributions and you know they bought prebas prebas was part of the original fleer the airline infrastructure you know along with camba on the revenue management side and inc on the departure control side and that combination, you know, strung together by a really, really good IT team. And I think that's that's something that people people need to understand is it didn't just miraculously happen. Uh, you know, FLIA, the airline, had a really solid group of IT people that understood all of the issues um, associated with trying to put together a best of breed solution. And, and their economics were, I mean, world class, world beating on the IT side. Know, down to Alf and his and Alf, Alf and his team. I think there's something interesting there to to think about, because when we're confronted with this wholesale transformation, we tend to think of, okay, who can do all of that? But another way of thinking about it is, who are the the suppliers who can do pieces of it, and then how do you integrate those pieces? And, and, you know, you quote Fear as, as a very good example of an IT team that did do precisely that. And my suspicion is that as we approach this transformation, the early movers are going to try and do pretty much all of it, everything, everywhere, all at once. So, and that will be the top tier airlines, the tier one airlines. By the time it comes down to the tier three, tier four carriers doing this, it's going to be much more a case of, addressing individual elements of the problem one at a time and integrating the solutions, which leaves a very important space for the smaller vendors, the ones who can't afford to invest by the billion. Again, the airlines that, that Natalie's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis are going to be open to addressing the problems one at a time and, and making a gradual transition into, into this new world. I would say, Ian, that there's one thing that's really important. In, in other words, if we want to componentize things and roll things out over a period of time, the key to being able to do that is to integrate with the current infrastructure. And if you like, without having to swap everything out, is to, is to be able to roll out, let's say, continuous pricing. The reality is that the industry is not built up of lots of open APIs, even if they're using industry standard messaging, I'm just gonna phrase it like that. 
the, the reality is these systems aren't open and the infrastructures are not plug and play and they require quite a bit of work to get the systems integrated. Look, and, and at T2RL, we've seen, you know, a mighty hearty battle for inventory and availability processing outside of the PSS. And I won't go into any names, but, but, but many people will know this. You know, also shopping engines, the ability to take that data from the from the inventory system and and propagate that to third party solutions. This has been a very expensive business. So one of the challenges is is the industry just isn't open enough today. Now, long term, if offer, order, settle, and deliver are successful, then we should have much more standardization and we should be able to get more swapping of components but that just isn't the case today and the premium that the i'm going to say the incumbent can charge for integrating that piece of innovation if they're not part of the family and ecosystem uh, let's let's call them pre-certified revenue sharing partners with with the with the incumbent it's really hard to execute on buying a component to solve continuous pricing or to offer ancillaries without paying a, a, a disproportionately and, and maybe possibly egregious fee to be able to do that integration. So, so, so the incumbents can slow the innovation by just charging for it. So the business cases have to get better and better or the margins of the smaller players get smaller and smaller to be able to, to go forward to the next step. And, that, and then there's the, I'm not playing with them because they're the enemy, is, is kind of one of the things that we saw many years ago in some of the shopping environments and, and the sort of external availability calculators. That's the whole propagation of your inventory rules into a third party availability calculator. I'm not supporting their rules. That problem doesn't go away because it's offer order settled. It just becomes more acute and it becomes more difficult. So yeah, obviously, T2RL is going to say, well, if you didn't negotiate your PSS contract, shame on you, because those are the sort of things that we would talk about. But the reality is the infrastructure just isn't open enough. And it's very much IATA's aspiration that we will we will have a more open environment in, in the industry. My concern there, I think, is that unlike, for example, when we move to 100% e-ticketing, there is no lever that IATA can pull. At that time, IATA had a big old lever that said, we're just not going to issue any more stock. And guess what? The, the transformation was done almost overnight. But there isn't such a lever now. So somehow or other, we've got to try and, 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 and identify where some levers might be to, to enable this kind of move. I think that the, 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 the passengers themselves, the customers themselves will be, uh, will be at the base of, of forcing some of this change because the customer expectations have, have changed significantly, especially since COVID, and requiring airlines to very much personalize their offers. So they will be pushing for change. And, and some of these airlines, unfortunately, will have to pay or, or invest significantly with some of these vendors to deliver some of these new retailing and, and, and dynamic pricing offers that these customers are looking for, including the IROPs at the end of the day and self-servicing. So there's, there's a whole lot of additional 
capabilities that can be pushed by just customer expectations. That's fair. I think I think reaccommodation is one of those things that isn't good today. Uh, you know, for for all of us that have been in the travel industry trying to solve the problem from a, an IT stack perspective, re- really, actually, the quality of reaccommodation and the automation around the the reaccommodation problem is has has really been. I, I mean, underinvested, I guess. Um, there are a couple of vendors that do a very good job, one in particular that we know well. So the reality is that I think that's that's a fair point, is customers will demand better quality services and and that should that should help drive drive the business case forward. Back to the point is, you know, IATA's cause is noble. In other words, the desire to have more competition. Uh, to be more open is a noble cause, but with 75% of the world's inventory sitting in three systems, it is really hard to see them opening up. Now, I, I would caveat that by saying, if one is much more dominant than the other, and, and of course, we can we can say this Amadeus's market share, by our calculations, close to 50% of the global market share, with the combination of Altea and Navitaire, although they're run very separately and very disparate business businesses um, in, in terms of Amadeus management, the, the reality is there could be a willing coalition to work together to allow some of those capabilities to be a bit more interoperable um, than, than perhaps others. And, and then if you throw some big vendors in the mix, I mean, at T2L, we've we've talked to Microsoft. We've I'd I'd say we shamelessly tried to push them in the direction of building a common order management system for the for the planet, which they could they could, they could certainly do that, um, and monetize it. You know through transactions, that 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 just wasn't attractive for them. They would leave that business. It's just not big enough. They would leave that business to their partners, their partner network rather than do that themselves. And I think that's a general uh, challenge that we have. And, and and it's maybe a little humbling for those of us who've spent our working lives in the airline industry. But on a global scale, the airline industry is quite small when you compare it to banking or manufacturing or, or even government. Um, so to attract the investment from the big IT vendors is quite difficult for for a relatively small industry. Oracle's purchase of Micros uh, for around five billion says they were able to buy the dominant property management system for five billion dollars, and they've been and they've been modernising that infrastructure for a long period of time. So so yeah, the, the travel industry may we may not be quite as important as we think we are. We have many more airlines in our databases than anyone else. 1,100 or so airlines in the world, that market just isn't big enough and attractive enough to to bring you know large amounts of investment to to build out IT and and you know we can go back to the start of Amadeus and the purchase of the System One license, you know to say well that was a massive investment but look at look at the evolution of that company and how many tens of thousands of man years of development have gone into building out the the applications and the same at Sabre. The reality is that we're a bit different. We're different enough to be unattractive to the outside world. So, you know, so the idea that a vendor could just pop up and build this stuff, it isn't real. And and that's that's why I say, you know, IATA has a noble cause uh, and, and it's it's definitely worthwhile pursuing the idea of of 
more competition. But truly, the investment required to really build out the sort of systems that we're talking about is is beyond the reach. I mean, there have been huge failures in our industry. CETA, the CETA passenger servicing system, $300 million written off. We could debate whether it's 350 or 400 or it's 295 or whatever the number is. We've spent a ton of money trying to build out some of this stuff and 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 failed. We've all got our, our litany of, of examples. You know, Unisys invested in Aircore over over many years and achieved very limited penetration. Um, we, we've had various examples. I mean, I remember one of the earliest ones was when SAS was going to build a new commercial environment on, on an IMS platform, and they spent a lot of money and, and it went nowhere. So this transformation is going to carry risk for those who invest in it. The rewards should justify the risk for a small number. I'd, I'd like just to, in the last couple of minutes uh, of this conversation, to think about how long do you think it will be before we've moved away from legacy, before we've moved away from P&Rs, e-tickets, RBDs, all the filed fares, all those other good things. In, in our written reports, we say at least a decade. I've got a feeling we might be underestimating that. <laughs> I, I I would go with decade. Um, I, I think I think there will be some brave management out there that will just say, "Listen, we have to move this forward." And I I would say, you know, American Airlines demonstrated significant appetite for risk, certainly revenue risk, by doing what they did with respect to NDC. I think we'll see some some leaders push forward. I hope that they're able to construct, you know, solid agreements with vendors to share some of that risk and, of course, some of the rewards, because at the end of the day, the airline can only benefit as far as it can benefit. But if if the vendor can push their products out to a much broader audience and think about the the transitional issue and and how they how they manage that. There's an exciting time in, in contracting for offer, order, settle, deliver, and I'm not seeing us talking to our customers about anything else about PSS where we're, we've that conversation has gone very quiet and now we're talking about yes we need a PSS in the interim but that's just a step to offer order settle deliver and then we're discussing well what's the premium over the short term and for how long um, and how long will the co-chair and interline relationships depend on edifact messaging which which requires us to have this sort of transformation to, to be able to work in the offer order environment and and translate that back into PNRs. And look, there's some super complexity out there, married segments, for example, some of the more sophisticated revenue controls on inventory require a lot of information to be pushed backwards and forwards between the systems. NDC is XML, it's very chatty, it's very heavy messaging from a technology perspective and, and, and therefore comes with some additional issues that we, that we perhaps haven't seen in the in, in the Edifact world because we've trimmed those messages to be so efficient. Now we haven't explored all of those issues yet. So yeah, remember the low cost carriers have had this advantage for a while, and and whilst they aren't one order in the IATA sense, they are much simplified and and have a generally a, a huge cost advantage um, over their more complex business competitors that have. They carry more of that business complexity.
So Natalie, when you're talking to to some of the airlines that are maybe a little further down the tree in terms of size and sophistication, are they thinking about these issues when they maybe renew their PSS contract? Are they trying to leave the the placeholders there for managing an eventual move to offer order? I think many of them are are still at the stage of waiting to see what happens and and how the existing PSS vendors are maturing in in their their move towards that. Many will wait and see and and basically at the right time uh, make that move. You may have a couple of small agile airlines able to leapfrog if you want to the uh, offer order service delivery. Or even you may find some of these smaller airlines um, even choose a, a, another path, which may be moving into um, you know low cost or, or hybrid environments as a as a transition to to uh, offer order service delivery, since the legacy will will be hard to keep up with. Richard thinks it's going to be a decade. I I I think that's probably about right. I suspect what we're going to see is. Over the next three to five years, some of the very big airlines will make significant moves and we will eventually hit a tipping point where where it will become inevitable that the whole industry will follow. Um, now, I'm not going to make any rash predictions about how long it will take the whole industry to follow, but I, I think the tipping point will be with us in, in the next three to five years and, and it'll percolate down through the sort of size sophistication matrix across the industry. That's an issue that we're going to be talking about quite a lot at the T2RL Engage conference uh, in September this year. So if you found that this conversation has stimulated some questions in your mind, or if you think we're getting it profoundly wrong, I do urge you to uh, register for the conference and come along uh, to London in September and join in that conversation. It's probably the most significant conversation to be had around airline commercial technology in today's world. We expect the the Engage conference to move the conversation along quite significantly, especially given the quality of attendees we usually get and we expect to have this year. So for right now, um, I'd like to thank the two panelists, Richard and Natalie. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening, and I urge you to look out for the report that we publish shortly, and join us again for T2RL Talks next time. Thank you.